I often think of that verse, I think of woodworking. And it's like, how do you get marriage and woodworking going together? Well, this is just, to me, a great example of this becoming one flesh. If you have two pieces of wood that you want to marry into one, to join together, if you want a stronger fit, you glue the wood together. And what you will discover, that glued joint becomes actually sometimes stronger than the actual wood itself. But if you're able to break the two pieces of wood at the joint, it will never be a clean break. There'll be splinters of the two pieces on each other. Divorce is somewhat that way. Never a clean break. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Singleness, marriage, and divorce, looking at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 16. In verses 1 and 2, we're going to see a general rule. Verses 3 through 9 affection and concession, and verses 10 through 16, to the married. Paul said in verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I, but if they cannot exercise self-control, Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Although Paul believed, personally, celibacy, the best policy, he recognized it's not for everyone. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 12, Remember, some have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Others might also say, we have made ourselves married for the kingdom of heaven's sake. I believe that marriage is a, just such an important thing. One of the things that I've loved about this fellowship for so many years, and I know we're a smaller church than we've been in the past, but we've had a number of couples coming to church together. And I believe it's so important for husbands and wives to not only share in the faith and the love of Jesus Christ, but to pass on those things to their children It is something that our world needs to see displayed before them today. They need mentors for those of us who are getting older. Younger couples need mentors in faith. 
that we can be for others. Paul would say in verse 17, we'll get into this in our next study, but here in chapter 7, verse 17, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, let him so walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. If you, what he is saying there, if you are single, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he would encourage you to remain so. But again, he's, he realized that if marriage is uh, in your future, then get married, he would say. But also, if you're married, well, don't become divorced or separated, but remain so. In whatever way the Lord has called you, let him walk in such. So it had me thinking about marriage, and we know that people are getting married later and later, older and older in life. And so I wanted to look up some statistics on this. And I found that in the United States that males usually married, this is the average, at 29.8 years old and females at 27.8 years old. A combined average of 28.8 years old here in the United States. It's ticking upward ever so slowly. And this statistic amazingly comes from 1890 to 2018 is a statistic that I just read to you, the latest statistic that I found on this. But taking it all the way back to 1890, we know that they didn't wait around until they were 30 years old usually to get married back then. So statistically, the numbers could be a little bit skewed here in the 21st century. So I was also wondering about the world in general. Who's the youngest to get married? The average age of 19.2 years old is given over to a country in Africa, the country of Chad. And the oldest, well, that honor goes to Ireland, and there the average age is 35.4 years old before people get married. It's like half your life gone before you say, I do. Lily and I got married at 18 years. There was circumstances that helped fuel that marriage, but still, we were pretty young when we got married. But I believe others wait way too long. And Paul argues that for the reason of the lack of self-control, he counsels to the unmarried, the widows, if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. I tell this to couples, and again, as a pastor, marrying couples, I don't marry too many young kids. They're usually older. And so especially to those who are usually older, I said, you realize by waiting so long that you're carrying a bit of baggage from your life before. You're going to carry that baggage into your marriage, and it's going to present its own challenges. The younger you are, the less baggage you have. But it also has its own challenges because you have to grow together and mature together. And we know that some people just don't mature at the same rate. Usually the guys are guilty of not maturing quick enough. But I believe when marriage is at its best, again, it is the self-sacrifice of a husband toward his wife and the wife toward the husband. So recognizing our God-given roles helps us to live balanced lives. And then we finally find in our last point, verses 10 through 16, Paul speaks to the married. He covers, again, divorce in this as well. 
and speaks to the unmarried, but he largely speaking to the married. I will read the context, verses 10 through 16. Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So he begins dealing with separation and divorce in verse 10. To the married, he says, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So once again, Paul reminds his readers, I am writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord says on this issue. In 2 Peter 1.21, Peter reminds us that prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Paul being one of those, being a man of God that was inspired by the Spirit of God to pin these words for us. And he gives God's general commandment. A wife should not leave her husband. A husband should not divorce his wife. This is God's standard for all marriages. In Genesis 2.24, again, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. I often think of that verse, I think, of woodworking. And it's like, how do you get marriage and woodworking going together? Well, this is just, to me, a great example of this becoming one flesh. If you have two pieces of wood that you want to marry into one, to join together, you do so either by screwing it together or gluing it together. If you want a stronger fit, you glue the wood together. You glue it together, you clamp it. And what you will discover, that glued joint becomes actually sometimes stronger than the actual wood itself. But if you're able to break the two pieces of wood at the joint, if you did it properly, it will never be a clean break. There'll be splinters of the two pieces on each other. Divorce is somewhat that way. Never a clean break. The general rule. A wife should not leave her husband. A husband should not divorce his wife. But he also understood that things do not always work out as one might desire. And so he says to those who have unbelieving spouses, in verses 12 through 16, and here he, he reverses it again. He says, I say to you, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce. 
And if a woman, he, he reverses the whole thing, let her not divorce. For if the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So after giving God's general standard for marriage, Paul addresses those with unbelieving spouses. What we can glean from the Bible, I believe Timothy's parents probably fell into this category. They were a biracial couple. Timothy's dad was Grecian. His mother was Jewish. They were not only divided by nationality, but also by faith. It appears that Timothy's father may have fell into this category of an unbelieving husband who willingly lived with his believing wife. We don't get a lot of information about Timothy's father other than that he was Greek and that he did not allow Timothy to be circumcised, something that would take place when Timothy was either a late teenager or a young adult. But we do get some information about Timothy's mother and grandmother in 2 Timothy 1.5 and also in 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul writes, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is also in you, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Timothy had been raised well by two women in his life, his mother and his grandmother, and that's how it is sometimes in homes, that perhaps it's the husband who's not a believer, perhaps it's the wife who is not a believer, but the believer within the household has an opportunity to bring faith into that household. In fact, Paul said the unbeliever is being sanctified by the believing spouse, the children then being called holy. It speaks about the godly influence that is in that home. For one godly parent may counteract all the bad influence of an ungodly father or mother and may help to win a child to Christ. First Peter 3, verses 1 through 2, Peter had the same thought. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, even if some do not believe, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. When I think about an unbelieving husband being won by the conduct of his wife, I have to think of my own family, my parents. Before I was born, and this is how it was told to us, my mom one day told my dad, she said, John A., I'm taking the girls to church and you can come if you want to. From that moment forward, she began to set a standard of worship in our household. And dad didn't go with her at first. And at the time, she went to one of the larger Methodist churches in Zion, Illinois. And there was a point, and I don't know how long it was, but there was a point to where my dad said, you know, if you go to a smaller church, I'll consider coming with you. And this is one thing that I think is just wonderful. What's more important sometimes, the church that you go to or faith in your family? The mom said, no way. If you're going to come, I'm going to this church. This is my church. I'm staying here, not leaving. But they went to a smaller Methodist church. 
But soon, my dad discovered that the Methodist church did not have the answer that he was looking for because they did not, at that time, preach salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What they preached was church membership. And so my dad would talk to the pastor and say, I feel like there's something I need to do. And the pastor would say, join the church. But he would never tell him what he needed to do, that he needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess his sins, that he might be saved. And so as it was, there was a Baptist church in Winthrop Harbor, Illinois, that held a spring revival meeting. And at this time, I'm two months old. And the evangelist at that spring revival meeting told my dad what he needed to do. And that day he went forward to receive Christ as his Savior. And because that's where he was saved, that's where he connected. And that's where our family connected. And that's where I grew up in that church until I was 12 years old, until the Lord called my dad to pastor Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Wadsworth, Illinois. But dad gave his heart to Jesus, and I I believe it had much to do with mom's faithfulness to God. And mom's faithfulness to God, it actually changed the path of our family's life. So Paul says in verses 15 through 16, we close out in these few verses. If an unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother and sister is not held under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, I want you to understand that Paul does talk about departure in verse 15, but actually in verses 12 through 14, all he was talking about is couples staying together. He began by saying, if there's an unbeliever and they wish to remain, then let them remain. Stay in that situation that you would have that godly influence in the situation. If they depart, you're not under bondage. God calls us to peace. But then he argues again in verse 16, saying, how do you know? By your being together, whether it will bring either the wife or the husband to come to faith. And so God has given us a standard for marriage. But Paul understood that it doesn't always work out this way. First, we notice that the unbeliever is the one who departs, not the believer. And yet Paul reminds the believers of the ministry that they can have in their own home by helping to bring salvation to their loved ones. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Second, we discover that Paul's word, a brother or a sister is not held under bondage in such case. It's caused many in the church to advocate that this verse speaks about in certain situations that divorce is permitted according to the word of God. We do know, according to the words of Jesus, that there is one clear-cut reason for divorce given to us in Scripture. It's found in a few verses, but here in Matthew 5.32, Jesus saying, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So the definite reason... given to us in scripture for divorce, sexual immorality. 
Personally, when a couple comes to me desiring to be married, and either one or both of them have been married before, I'll listen to their stories. We talked about this at a pastor's lunch just a month ago, talking about those couples that we would marry or not marry. Each pastor, there was five of us from different churches in this area, we held similar but also different views in this area. When it came down to it, I think the one thing that we all agreed upon, we listened to each couple's story. We wanted to kind of judge ourselves and then taking the word of God, deciding. I'll let you know that I have said no before, that everyone who has come to me and say, Pastor John, we'd like you to marry us. I've not always said yes, because I've taken these situations and I, I would just say I'm not comfortable uh, performing this marriage for you. Paul is not stressing divorce, but reconciliation and peace. He wrote in Romans 12:18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And I believe this is especially in our homes. God has called us to peace, especially in our homes. Well, I have another story that goes back to the church that my dad pastored. And I have time for it. I've been watching the clock here. It's not in my notes, so I'm just going to pull it out. When we first started attending the church that became my dad's church there in Wadsworth, Mount Carmel Baptist Church, there was a, a mother and her children that came to church there, but the husband never came. There was always prayer requests for the husband. And she would often ask for prayer that her husband would come to faith in Jesus Christ. There was a point, though, in their marriage relationship and this man was an alcoholic, and things got pretty bad in their household, that she finally departed. She didn't divorce, she separated. But she departed, and Marvin is the gentleman's name. He told me once that it was her departure that made me wake up. If she would have continued in the situation, I believe the situation would have continued as it had for many years, and for many years. But she departed, and Marvin got his act together. Marvin came to faith in Jesus Christ. Marvin eventually became the pastor. After my dad passed away, he became the pastor of Mount Carmel Baptist Church for a season. But it was the separation that woke him up. I'm not saying that it always works, but sometimes that's what it takes. But God can work even in the difficult situations. Today, we've looked at this, for me, a hard subject to teach on. And I realize it's hard, not only talking about sexual intimacy, and I, I didn't get into a lot of detail on that, of course, but I also, it's difficult because I know that we're talking about singleness, marriage, and divorce, that I'm hitting issues in people's lives, that there could be tender spots, that there's wounds that God needs to heal. In verses 1 and 2, though, we were given the general rule that in a world that is filled with depravity, God has given marriage a place of honor. And then again, in verses 3 through 9, we talked about affection and concession. And in that, just recognizing the God-given roles that he has given to us, it helps to 
each of us to live balanced lives. And then finally, to the married, we find that the Lord has called us to peace, and this peace, of course, especially in our homes. So, Father, we pray that you would be with us today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And though subjects in the word of God might be tough to deal with from the pulpit or might be tough to hear from those who are receiving this message this morning, we know, Father, that the purpose of the truth of your word is to bring our lives into balance of relationship with one another in our homes, but especially, Lord, in relationship with you. And Father, you work through marriage. You work through singleness. You work through widows and widowhood. And Lord, you can even work through separation and divorce. Father, that is our will, that you would find your victory. And Lord, that you would help us to walk in fellowship with you. Your victory in our lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.